The Witching Hour with Aaron Maza is a Mind Garden Media podcast in association with Screw You Todd Productions. My name is Aaron Maza, and this is The Witching Hour. Hey everyone, it's Aaron. Thank you so much to everybody who joined me for last week's episode with Melanie Marquis. And welcome to this week's episode where I get to interview the lovely Brandon Weston, author of Granny Thornapple's Book of Charms. I really hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did making it. And if you have any questions, you know where to find me. Hey, Brandon, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right. Unseasonably warm up here in St. Louis, but... I'll take it, but I would like to see some snow, especially around Christmas time. Sure, sure. Yeah, we've also been warm, but I don't know that we're going to get snow this year. <laughs> we can always pray. We can always pray. Tell us about yourself. Who is Brandon in a nutshell? It could be condensed or not condensed. It doesn't <laughs> matter. Give us your underbridge life story if you feel so inclined. Well, My name is Brandon Weston. I'm a writer, healer, folklorist, specializing in traditions of Ozark folk healing and folk magic. My research covers the entirety of the Ozarks. Um, I live in Arkansas, but uh, I also go up into Missouri quite a bit to do work up there as well. But yeah, I'm a practicing folk magician and healer. My work isn't necessarily academic. It is really sort of down to earth with the people, learning lots of folk remedies and folk practices in order to continue those practices for communities. Mm -hmm. So that's really uh, important to me is that the work stays as community oriented work. That is really important. And like the Ozarks, it's I feel like the Ozarks are sometimes overlooked with Appalachia being up there and like just being surrounded by other regions that have strong magical traditions. But hey, don't sleep on the Ozarks because they have a culture all their own. I've met many people through the Ozarks. Yeah, where I always tell people, you know, you can see the fingerprints of a lot of different sort of pan-American traditions and pan-European traditions, but we are our own sort of distinct, unique tradition. That's awesome. So how did you discover this path of like Ozark folk magic and healing and Ozark traditions? How did you discover it? So I grew up in an Ozark family. So I'm a multi-generational Ozark Ozarker on both sides of my family. So we go way back in the area. So I kind of grew up with a lot of folk remedies, home remedies, weird stories. I had a great uncle on my dad's side who could buy warts off of people. He could also stop a bleeding wound and other healers throughout the family. But I really didn't know any of that was different from other <laughs> what other people experienced until I got to college and I took a folklore class and we started talking about Ozark folklore. And we went through Vance Randolph's books. And as we were going through, I was like, oh, my family does that. Oh, my family does that, too. So in one of Vance's books, he has a section on wart charmers, specifically on wart buyers. And so as I read that, I was like, that's Uncle Bill. I didn't know that. (laughs) I didn't know that that was a thing. So it was really at that point that I sort of discovered that, hey, maybe there's something here that, you know, I can look into that maybe I can research. 
So I mostly wanted to find out where the practices were today. 90% of what's been written about the Ozarks, specifically about Ozark folk magic and healing practices, was published you know, Vance Randolph published his most famous book in 47. And in a lot of cases, his informants had lived through the Civil War. And so a lot has changed in the Ozarks since then. So I really wanted to update the story. And I sort of asked the question of, you know, is this stuff a still, still a living practice? Has it gone away? Are there still healers out here? And so I just did my own tours and I I drive around the Ozarks asking people to tell me stories. I didn't really collect in an academic way. I didn't really feel like that's what I wanted to do. I was going on a mm-hmm. sort of personal journey. <laughs> and then all of that sort of turned into where are these traditions? Okay, these traditions are still here. Well, how can I be a help to preserve some of these traditions not as a not in a museum sense, but in a real living practice sense. So one of my favorite teachers, sort of uh, a couple years into this collection process, she identified the gift in me, which is a very traditional way of sort of saying, you have the potential to be a healer. And so she said that I was fit for this work. And so things sort of started going in that direction. So I started collecting not just for a book, but collecting to actually be able to use this stuff in the the community. So it's like you're keeping something going, you're keeping a tradition alive, but at the same time, you are, I want to say, keeping it with the people, like you mentioned earlier, and you're not trying to put it under glass like most academics would. And academic is fine, but just don't keep it under the glass away from the people who brought it into the world. You know what I mean? And sure. so I, I just think that I think that's extra. I, I think that's really cool. It's just like it's kind of like you're keeping a culture going. It's kind of something I wish they would have done. We could do with all folk and magical folk traditions. But sadly, a lot of it was lost. So that that is a very admirable effort. And so I have to ask, do you identify as a witch or a healer or warlock? Or do you just not prefer to have a title? I'm just curious. Well, so my titles change depending on who I'm talking to. So a lot of the folk traditions are still sort of alive in the more rural areas of the Ozarks. And in the rural areas, you know, you have to talk about things in a very specific way. And so amongst certain groups of people, I I do use the word witch because I think that, you know, our modern associations with the word witch kind of encompass a lot of a lot of things that I do. (laughs) And a lot of the sort of traditional practices are sort of rolled up under the term witch a lot of times in a modern sense. But, you know, if I'm out in rural Missouri, I'm not going to use the word witch. (laughs) (laughs) So language is a really important part of studying folk traditions in general. And I always, you know, tell people, I recommend everyone sort of collect family stories and community stories and things like that, but to do so in a respectful way that sort of takes language into consideration. So if I'm out in rural Ozarks, you know, I don't even call myself a healer because healer is a, I mean, a community term that's given to a person. It's not something that somebody claims. I'm a healer amongst the people that I help heal. And so if I'm out in just sort of a random Ozark area, 
traditional ways of talking about this sort of stuff is somebody has the gift, somebody is gifted, somebody knows things, somebody that has the sight or the second sight. These are all sort of traditional ways of sort of speaking around what we're really getting at, which is somebody that does spooky stuff in the woods. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so, so language, uh, you know, really affects this a lot. I will say amongst a lot of the more modern practitioners, people are starting to reclaim witch even in the more rural areas. And they're just sort of saying, hey, this is who I am and uh, you can like it or get over it. This group of people would be what I call the neo-traditionalists. And I'm a part of this group as well that sort of builds our work upon a foundation that is considered traditional, quote unquote. But we recognize that practices evolve and change and incorporate in other ancestral practices. We incorporate in reclaimed practices. So communities that have been marginalized through Ozark history are now, you know, sort of an amalgam of traditional Ozarks, as well as the practices that they're reclaiming, whether they're indigenous or West African, Central African, that sort of thing. So my terms and, and the sort of way I talk changes depending on the group that I am with. I think that by and large, I consider myself to be a spiritual healer, just to distinguish myself from what in some people's mind might be sort of charlatan, you know, faith healer type stuff. Mm-hmm. So I always tell people that according to Ozark folk belief, You know, you have the body and you have the spirit, or we can also say the mind, the soul, whatever. But these two things are addressed together as a part of the healing process. And so I always refer people to modern doctors. And I tell people that I provide sort of the other half of that healing process, which is sort of aligning people with their own healing aligning people with sort of the spiritual side of the healing process. That's awesome. It's just kind of like everybody wants to, I ran into this to to an interview recently. It's just kind of like everybody wants to sweep everybody under the same title, Uh, which, 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 and that I identify as a witch, but somebody else who has a different tradition may not do it. Just like you said, you have to be mindful of the group you're around. Yeah, this complicates things a little bit, too, because not just with the Ozarks, but you see this in other folk traditions in America, where a lot of times the healer in the community, part of what they're doing is working against the supposed power of the witch. And so it kind of complicates things if you then self-identify as a witch. (laughs) But we have to also, so that's kind of an interesting area in and of itself, the way that the witch has been sort of perceived traditionally in the Ozarks. So, you know, when I tell people that, you know, we're in this healing ritual, we're working against the power of the witch, we're talking about, you know, sort of the cosmic witches, the storybook witch on the mountain sort of, which is not old lady, you know, Josie that lives down the road, that sort of thing. <laughs> not the witches who are part of like the religion of Wicca or other modern witchcraft traditions or anything like that. Yeah. And again, going back to the power of language and the idea of the doorway into a lot of these practices is recognizing how our language has been used in the past, 
amongst more traditional people and how we now today misunderstand a lot of that because we don't live within the same context. Mm -hmm. So I think Witch is a great example of that, how that has evolved over the past, you know, millennia (laughs) plus. Yes, I am very grateful for that, that I have not went through a town in Missouri and have not been burned at the stake because I have this big, I have this hat sitting in the back window of my car and just a big white letters. that says, which yeah, <laughs> just, just blazoned across the back of it. So you were talking about earlier about keeping the traditions alive, but this next question I'm going to ask you is a question I ask to all of my guests is what role do you believe that magic plays in this modern world? And I think you touched on this a tiny bit, but I would like it if you could just sort of dig a little bit deeper. Sure. I think for me, try as we may to deny it, we have rituals as a part of our daily life. You know, even if we don't identify as being magical practitioners or anything like that. And so I think that one of the biggest powers really behind magical practice is in being able to engage the person within their own body and within their own world, their own environment and surroundings through the use of ritual. And so in the Ozarks, there's this sort of underlying theory that, you know, there's this magical energy or this, you know, spirit or that of God or however you want to refer to it that sort of permeates all things in nature and permeates humans as a part of that. And really gifted people, people that we would consider to be magical practitioners, you know, the only thing that sets them apart from other people is their innate ability to sense that and to to sort of exist within that flow. But I don't think that this is separate from everybody's daily life. I think that everybody has an opportunity to connect to that. And I think by connecting to this, we not only, you know, connect to our own sense of, you know, innate power, which we all have, but we also connect to other places that flow flows through. So we connect to the land. The land has always been a very important foundational piece of Ozark folk practice. I always tell people that you really can't have Ozark folk practice without referencing the land in general, not just the Ozarks, but all land. Mm -hmm. So there's that deep sort of connection to the natural world and to the natural processes of the world. And so case in point, you know, with Ozark folk practice, everything is done within the cycles of nature. So we time things specifically with moon phases and zodiac moon signs and times of the day. And to outsiders, this kind of seems like sort of obsessive, sort of, you know, everything has to be just right. But it is going back to that sense of flow, that Mm -hmm. this innate magical flow in the world is like, as one of my teachers gave me, you know, this example, it's like the easiest way to go down a river is to lay back in the current and let the current take you. And that's a real foundational piece of Ozark folk practice is this idea that as practitioners, we lay back in the flow and laying back in the flow means going with the cycles of nature, not working against them. And so I think magical practice in general has a real potential for us to connect back to that flow within ourselves, within nature, the environment, within our communities. And it has the potential to reorient us. 
from the outside, Ozark folk practice sometimes seems very simplistic, but then I tell people, you know, the purpose of the healing act in Ozarks is to realign the human being with, with the universe, with the mm. cosmic forces of the universe to attain perfection. And that is, that's not a simple thing. So from the outside, yes, we may just be praying or, you know, laying on hands or, you know, just sitting in silence, that sort of thing. But underneath that, the sickness in uh, Ozark sense is derived from the imbalances of the 12 houses of the Zodiac in the body. So when we realign those houses back to equilibrium, we realign ourselves, the microcosm with the macrocosm. And so this is really sort of alchemical work. And so I think on the outside, magic has the potential for us to sort of connect, reconnect, but it also has the potential for us to actually grow to actually improve, to actually transform, to transmute our lives and everything about that. So Ozark folk practice addresses the practicalities of life. So not just sicknesses and things like that, but you uh, are uncomfortable in your body. You are uncomfortable in your home. You're uncomfortable on the land. You are angry. You are, you know, upset. You're sad. You know, the Ozark folk practices really address those practicalities of life. And so I think in a lot of traditions, we can get very anti-body. We tend to degrade the body or, or sort of put it aside that we need to transcend or something like that. And in Ozark folk practice, I think one of the things, important things that it has to offer is rebodying people, you know? And so it, it really is a practice. It's a work that really reorients people back into their bodies and how we as embodied individuals sort of fit into the greater sort of universal scheme. Mm -hmm. It's just like you mentioned to the outside, it appears just so simple to people. <clears throat> it's just kind of like though. Still waters run deep, but we don't know what's going on on a cosmic scale. Whenever somebody in your tradition is praying, or even like you said, sitting in silence, there's some big wheels turning that most people can't even see. Exactly. And I'm going to talk about this here book a little bit. Ta-da! One of the first things that really stood out to me was that what came to mind was spoken magic mm -hmm. and like the power of intention. And I feel like that's really emphasized a lot in this book uh, because I'm really into the whole spoken magic thing right now. And because usually most things would say, oh, you need to have this root or this leaf and all these implements. And I just like the thought of something that can be used simply by speaking in alignment with your intention or with your will. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, to go back to that image of the river, you know, the easiest way to get down the river is to lay back in the current. And that is sort of where Granny Thornapple covers, you know, this idea of relying on your own inborn sort of gift, even though you might not think you're gifted, everyone is. It's relying on that intuition. It's relying on that sort of inborn power that's existent within all of us. And then how do we sort of transform that raw energy within us into something in the world? How do we use that in the world? But I mean, also, as, as one of my teachers told me, you know, when we're in that river, we can work against the current. 
And sometimes we can go faster in the current by building a boat. And building a boat means using all of the roots and the ritual implements and the repurposing of household objects for magical purposes and all of that. And so it's important to note that there's a balance between these things amongst a lot of Ozark healers, this idea that, you know, we're not necessarily saying, oh, you don't need you know, roots and plants and things like that. All you need is this. No, it's really sort of letting the healer exist where they are. And so if you need the roots and things like that, then they're there. If you don't need those things, then you don't need those things. I think it's real. One of the advantages of Ozark folk practice is that it really is every person for themselves, as far as healers go, you know, how you want your practice to look is how it's going to look. And a lot of it depends on just, you know, what sort of techniques and things you were past, but a whole lot of it is just what you were born with and what sort of creative expression you want to connect to. And so it was really important for me to write the spell book, which is all sort of ritual based. And then it, it was very important for me to write Granny Thornapple's Book of Charms because it's kind of the other half of that. It's to say, you know, there's also this practice, which I'm myself in my own practice, I'm much more on the Granny Thornapple side where, you know, sometimes all you really need is your own connection to that flow of magic and then what you're able to sort of reach in and fish out of that in the moment. Mm-hmm. And I think that has the potential for a lot of very interesting and powerful practices. That's what I like. It's like those things are there, like the ingredients and the candles and stuff. They're there. They can elevate your intention and they can focus it. This is just me speak speaking for me, but it's just like the most powerful magical tool in my opinion, and what I feel like was sort of emphasized in this work was the power of intention. Mm-hmm. And then, like you said, building the boat, and then you add in all the implements, like the, you could add in like the herbs and the stones and all that other good stuff. So I got to know, is Granny Thornapple a real person or was she a real person? Granny Thornapple technically is a creation, is, is mm-hmm. a created character. But she is an amalgam of a lot of very real people. So she incorporates in a lot of the granny women who traditionally were midwives in the community, but they were so much more than that in a lot of cases. So to go back to sort of the more big capital T traditional Ozarks, there was a taboo against men working on any women's issues, which a lot of times just meant they couldn't heal women in general, (laughs) which was very inconvenient for the women in the community. So what happened was you had granny women who sort of naturally filled that void within the community. So not only were they midwives, but they were also herbalists. They worked with prayers, with verbal charms, with ritual, with creating amulets. They were, you know, the first line of medicine for women in the community. But unfortunately, they were also the first ones to be labeled as a witch, usually. Mm. Uh, So Granny Thornapple is an amalgam of a lot of the granny women that folklorists like Vance Randolph and Mary Parler wrote about, who are also based on real people. She's also an amalgam of my own teachers, the people that, you know, have been very influential in my own life. And really, this is working on 
a very traditional basis within the Ozarks of the teaching story. And so, you know, years and years and years ago, Ozark folk culture was an oral culture. You know, most people couldn't read and write. And so healing work, folk magic, remedies, things like that, all of that was passed down orally. People didn't have spell books, you know. (laughs) There wasn't really, until much later, there wasn't really the black book tradition like you see in, you know, Scandinavia and Northern European countries and things like that. A lot of cases, people didn't even have recipe books. They just memorized everything. And so the teaching story was really important. And a lot of times the teaching story took on the form of an entertaining story about a healer or about a healer's adventures or, you know, that sort of thing with the intention that if you know, you know, that sort of thing. Like (laughs) uh, if you hear the story and you catch something from it, by nature of, you know, your gift or your cunningness, you can learn things from the story. And so this is a very long line of, I mean, that goes even farther back than, you know, establishment of the Ozarks or of the United States in general. The teaching story has been a very important part of the charming tradition for a very long time. And so the stories of Granny Thornapple's life that are featured in the book, they are all teaching stories. I wrote them with the intention of having people catch what they could out of them. And so, yes, in a way, she is a real person, but she is also fictional, which is, I mean, that's quintessential Ozarks. I was with a friend one time. We went out to a sort of rural area in Missouri, and we met a storyteller, and he was telling all of these tall tales about his own life. And we left, and my friend turned to me and said, was any of that real or was it fake? And I just said, yes, <laughs> because, uh, it's all, it's all real. I always tell people even in the Ozarks, even our fiction is real in a sense. So it's, yeah, she's a complicated character. Maybe. <laughs> well, I really, because whenever I got the book, I was like, oh, Granny Thornapple. Then I was like, wait, Brandon Weston. <laughs> I was like, I'm, I'm going to interview them and I'm going to get to the bottom of it. And I did. You own and operate a organization called the Ozark Healing Tradition. What does that consist of? So Ozark Healing Traditions is sort of an umbrella organization that I created to really house information about Ozark folk magic and healing practices. And so it is a way for me to be able to sort of connect with the greater community and allow people to sort of connect back into the community. And so all of the community work that I do, the workshops, lectures, things like that, that I do, it's all under Ozark Healing Traditions. And really it's a place for sort of the preservation of Ozark folk healing practices. That's awesome. So your book is due out in January, 2024. Yes, coming up soon. And yeah, it's like literally just, I realized today was like December 10th and I'm like, oh my God, the year's almost done. What is next after this? Are you working on your next book or what is next for Brandon? Yeah, I can't help myself. I, I said, as I was finishing up Granny Thornapple, I said, I've got a trilogy. I'm I'm done for a while. And then immediately started working on like five other projects. So yeah, I'm not done for a while, probably. I've got a few other pretty exciting books that I'm working on. I think for me, it was really important to write the first two, first three books, which were very broad. 
as far as Ozark folk magic goes. And I'm really interested to now go into the details. So for instance, looking at the role of astrological medicine within the Ozarks or the spirit working, working with, you know, the other world and things like that. So I think on the horizon, the next projects are probably going to be more specific little chunks within Ozark folk magic. That's cool. I can't wait for that to get out into the world. I just want to know, are you going to be teaching classes or anything like that? Because I'm sure once people finish this, finish this little book right here, they're probably going to be, you're probably going to be thirsty for more. Sure. Yeah. And I have a website, ozarkhealing.com. I'm probably going to start teaching some more classes, both locally where I am, as well as virtually. I, I started teaching virtual classes, you know, in 2020 and have really enjoyed it. So I think probably in the springtime, I'm going to do another series of virtual classes, which kind of take small bites of Ozark folk practice. And on the website, I actually have an archive of all of my class recordings uh, from the past three years, which are all free to download. So if people are interested in that sort of information, they can find all of that on the website. There's also an introduction class on the website that people can take for free. So it's a really good way of sort of, if you're just kind of dipping your toes in a little bit, it's a good way to sort of find out a little bit more information about what it is I do and the Ozarks and all of that. But yeah, I expect I'm going to do some more in-person events and things like that coming up in the spring. Well, I hope you make it up to St. Louis because it'd be fun. It'd be fun to meet you in person. I meet all these cool people on StreamYard and then I just don't ever get to see them in person. and And it just makes me a little sad. So you said that we can find you on your website, but are you on the socials anywhere or where can people get more Brandon? I am. So yeah, website is ozarkhealing.com. And then I'm most active on Instagram. It's at ozarkhealingtraditions. I also have a Facebook page, Ozark Healing Traditions. And I think I have threads and Twitter as well, or whatever Twitter is being called now. So but <laughs> I am most active on Instagram. Yes, I am definitely more of an Instagrammer myself. Facebook is if I want to keep my I want to keep my mom up to date to what I'm doing. But then there's Instagram me. And, oh, yeah. and, that, and hopefully mom never discovered Instagram. I'm just kidding. I act like I do illicit <laughs> stuff on there. Well, Brandon, I enjoyed the opportunity to get to visit with you today. And the book that is coming out next month is called Granny Thorn Apples Book of Charms. So I encourage you, where can they go make pre-orders or where where will they be able to purchase the book whenever it comes out? So I I always point people toward the publisher, Llewellyn Worldwide. They have pre-orders available as well as pre-orders for bookstores and things like that and individual pre-orders as well. But it's going to be across the internet. I mean, it'll be you know, bookshop, barnesandnoble.com, Amazon, all of that. And then it'll be in select bookstores, whoever chooses to pick it up, uh, which I, it always surprises me. I, I've had people contact from Britain and Australia <laughs> saying that the Ozarks are there now. <laughs> which is, <laughs> so uh, yeah, but across the internet, wherever books are sold, and then maybe a bookshop near you. Yes. So go out there and pre-order yourself a copy, everyone. Again, Brandon, I'm being very Midwest, and I'm saying it was nice to talk to you today. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and I look to getting to check in with you here soon, and I hope everyone has a great evening. Hey, thanks for sticking around. 
I just want to take a moment to share with you something that is very near and dear to my heart and also should be near and dear to the hearts of those listening to this program. If you have listened to the news lately, or maybe you've seen on your socials a series of bills attempting to be passed in many states by those who would desire to censor the history of the United States, mainly the history of historically marginalized communities, namely the LGBTQ community and the communities of color. These bills would censor the contributions these communities have made and hide the evils that they have suffered throughout this nation's history. I ask you to take some time and please reach out to your elected officials and tell them you do not support the censorship of history. Bills that seek to ban things such as the teaching of critical race theory and don't say gay or trans bills and drag bans are dangerous, not only because they erase the past, but they are also very dangerous to the present and the future as well. Again, I ask you to partner with me in taking a stand and speaking out. And also, thanks for hanging around. 